Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Our Heavenly Father, thank you once more for this Easter morn. Thank you for your word given to us. Thank you for the gospel that is in that word, that gospel of Christ Jesus, he who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has risen from the dead and thus defeated death and given us life. We pray that you would help us to see your glory here this morning, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I woke up this morning and I actually opened a window and I heard the birds singing so sweetly outside my window this morning. And I was reminded of last year on Easter as I drove up to the church and pulled into the parking lot, I saw some deer, a family of deer, just kind of frolicking in the prayer garden area. I thought, oh, it wasn't that sweet. And as I pulled out of my driveway today, I noticed uh, down the street from me is a neighbor who has a big inflatable bunny in their front yard. And if I'm being honest with you, I have to admit I did have a couple pieces of chocolate this morning. But see, the reality is this. Easter is not about the sweet singing of birds, nor the precious vision of wildlife. It's not about bunnies. And it's not about candy. You see, oftentimes I think we we think of Easter as something that is sweet. But I want to challenge you this morning to think of Easter not in terms of something that is sweet, but rather in terms of something that is powerful. For Easter is about victory. You see, I'm I'm so thankful for the gospel. It's always the case. I'm always thankful for the gospel, but especially so on Easter morn. We spend Friday night journeying to the cross, contemplating the weightiness of it, the the darkness of it, the, the difficulty of the cross. But then then Easter arrives and And it proclaims the victory of the Lord over death. It proclaims darkness where there 
where, where darkness was, there, there is now light. And where, where there was, not, was once despair, there is now hope. And where there was once death, there is now life. And this is important. This is important to me, it's important to you, it's important to all of us, isn't it? Because we all face death. It's something we all must deal with ultimately. We deal with it individually, we deal with it in the lives of loved ones. Others, no matter who we are, have to deal with it. Some, some face death in the sense that you've had loved ones who have in this past year passed away. This is your first Easter without them and, and there is no doubt a sorrow that comes. There are others who are in our midst who, who are experiencing a, a certain imminence of death. There are loved ones who are soon to die. I count myself among this number. My mother is in a hospital bed right now. And from what the doctors have told us, what she has told us, she will not live much longer. And so, for me, especially this Easter Sunday, the victory that Christ Jesus has won over death is of paramount importance. And so, in a situation like this, we look to a text like this, and we find a gospel that is, is not just a hypothetical gospel, but a, a gospel that we can apply to real life, a gospel that has applications for us, and we want to know, what will that gospel do? Right? Not just what is it about, but what will it do? And so we look at our text today, and, and as I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, well, well let me consider the, the main active verbs of this passage. If I just kind of isolate those and look at those and see what this passage is doing, what it's talking about uh, achieving and accomplishing and, and, and where the power is in it and where it's going and what, it, what it's doing. And I found that it kind of broke down into three categories. There, there were certain things that were dealing with the speaker in the passage. There were certain things that were dealing with the audience in the passage. And then there were certain things that were dealing with the subject of the passage. Right? Just, just look at these verbs with me real quick. I'll read them through you. This, this is the, the, just kind of the, the list I came up with as I looked at it. I would remind you. I preach to you. You received. You stand. You are being saved. You hold fast. I preached, you believed. I delivered to you, I also received. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, he was raised. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared, he appeared. I persecuted the church, I worked harder. We preach, you believed. Right, we begin with the, the speaker, Paul, right? Paul, the the, the one who was formerly Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church. Now, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? And we begin in verse 1. He says, now I would remind you, brothers. Right? We all know about reminders. We all involve reminders in our own life, don't we? We, we set an alert on our phone to remind us of something, or we jot down a note in our personal calendar, or we maybe set an alarm to remind us of something. And, and generally, we don't set these alarms, these reminders, these alerts. We, we don't have reminders about things that don't really matter, right? We, 
we give ourselves reminders of things that we want to make sure we don't forget. Because there are things of importance. At least in that moment, there are things that are important to us. Paul here has something that he wants to remind his hearers of. This is not brand new content that he is bringing to them, something they've never heard before. No, this is old content that he wants to remind them of because it is important content. It is something that they must not forget, that they must not lose, that they must lay hold of and remember. What is it? He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. The gospel is what he wants them to remember. Literally, the good news. That's what the word means. He says it in verse 1, the gospel I preached to you. Verse 2, the word I preached to you. Verse 3, what I delivered to you. Clearly, the gospel is a message. It is a message that is, that is proclaimed, that is delivered, that is given. It is a message with a certain content to it. Now, Francis of Assisi is reputed to have said, I don't know that he actually ever said it, but he's reputed to have said, we should preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. And, and I understand, I think what he's trying to say there is that, that the gospel should so adorn our lives that, that people notice there's something different. But there's a sense in which, which words are actually required if we're going to preach the gospel, because it's a message with content. We have to proclaim that content. It's more than just uh, a way of life. It's more than just a, a set of rules even, right? The gospel is something more than that. In fact, Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right? And, and here's the good news. Redemption is not just something for our souls, right? We we think about this like, you know, Jesus saved, my, saved our soul, right? And, but, but he doesn't just save our souls and whisk us away to go float around on a cloud for all of eternity, right? There's a redemption that is a, a cosmic redemption that God is working out. Romans 8 tells us the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This message of cosmic redemption is the message of the gospel. It is the good news. God is doing something. He is working out redemption. He is setting all things to rights. And he is doing it through Christ Jesus our Lord. Indeed, this is very good news. It's not something that we do. It's something he has done and is working out even now. Consider the verbs that apply to Paul's recipients of this message, right? To the, the audience. Right? This is the second group. Verse 1, you received. Verse 1, you stand. Verse 2, you are being saved. Verse 2, you hold fast. Verse 2, you believe. These are not a matter of, of actively doing things, right? The active verbs here are, are really kind of passive, aren't they? They're more of something that's happening to them, right? And at the best, uh, you believe or hold fast or stand. It's just like you just stay there in the grace of God. That is the part that we do. It's not a matter of going out and doing something or accomplishing something. Indeed, we are to live out 
the impact of the gospel in our lives. But that is not what saves us. That is not how we are saved. That is, that is the fruit of having been saved. The fruit of having received the gospel. The fruit of having believed the gospel is that our lives should be impacted by it in such a way that we live out the love of Christ that has been shown to us, showing it to our neighbors and to him. Right? The good news is that Jesus is setting all things right and Paul takes as the very core of his message. Verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is the, the first importance, the primary thing, the thing that we have to get right, the thing that's at the core and foundation of this message that we must be straight on. We start to see here part of the subject of the message, right? Verse 3, Christ died for our sins. In verse 4, he was buried. Christ died and was buried. This is incontrovertible truth, right? Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, historians agree to this fact. Uh, Non-Christian historians dating all the way back to the first century agree to this fact. There was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He had a great number of followers that, that claimed he did miracles. He was ultimately put to death under Pontius Pilate. And he was buried. Right? This, this part is, is something that all serious historians agree to. It's incontrovertible. Now where it gets dicey is this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. You see, what it says here in the text about his death is it was no ordinary death. That he wasn't just dying, but that his death was for our sins. He was paying a penalty that we had accrued. That, that because of our sinfulness, our sin passed, going all the way back to the garden and the sin of Adam that we are participants of, to the sins that we've committed today, to the sins that we'll commit tomorrow and on down the road. All of those sins have a consequence, right? The wages of sin is death. And the wrath of a holy God is poured out upon them. And that's what Jesus' death was about. He died on the cross to absorb that righteous wrath so that we might not have to. Now, now you might say, if you're not a Christian, well, I, I don't think that's what was going on at all. I just think he was a guy and he died. I mean, that's it. And you might have a good argument except for what we see in verse 4. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. Well, that changes the game. Right? I, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's been my experience that when people die, they usually stay dead. But here we're seeing this, this Jesus apparently on the third day rose from the dead. He was no longer dead. It's not saying that this was a, a metaphorical resurrection. It wasn't just a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't a Jesus rose in my heart resurrection. No, it is saying that he 
defeated death. I listened this morning to a song by Andrew Peterson that I I actually wanted to listen to yesterday, and I I kept myself from listening to it. I said, you know what? I'm not going to listen to it today. I'm going to wait until Easter morning to listen to this song. It's called His Heart Beats. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but this is the, the first part of it. It says, His Heart Beats. His blood begins to flow, waking up what was dead a moment ago. It is heartbeats, and everything has changed because the blood that brought us peace with God is coursing through his veins. And his heart beats. His heart beats. He breathes in. His living lungs expand. The heavy air surrounding death turns to breath Again, he breathes out. He is word and flesh once more. The Lamb of God slain for us is a lion ready to roar. And his heart beats. So crown him the Lord of life. So crown him the Lord of love. So crown him the Lord of all. He took one breath and put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? His heart beat. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, his heart was beating again. His lungs were working again. He was and is a living human being. Just like you and me. Blood coursing through his veins, as it said. He had been buried, and now he was raised. It's a miracle. But not just any miracle. right? We see in verse 4, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. right? It, it was saying there that, that it had been prophesied. It was proclaimed that this was going to happen. It was something that that God knew was coming all along. He knew it was coming all along because he had planned it. In fact, it says he died in accordance with the Scriptures and he rose in accordance with the Scriptures. Another way of saying that is, is it was what God intended to have happen. The plan from the very beginning. Nothing had spun off the reels. Nothing was out of control. No matter how much it might have seemed like it on Friday afternoon, Everything was in the sovereign hand of God. Oh, it must have seemed like it. Imagine it there on Friday. Jesus on the cross, bleeding and screaming in agony as the pain ripped through his body, his disciples having abandoned him, his mother there below him, weeping as her little baby boy was dying above her. It seemed as if all was lost. But it was not. God was still in control in your life. It might seem like all is lost. You may have certain people or certain circumstances in your life right now that make your life seem like a living hell. You may be struggling with pain and sorrow and depression or all sorts of things. You you may have loved ones who are sick or who are even dying You may feel alone, you may feel beaten down, you may feel despised, you may even feel rejected by God. And if that's where you are today, 
then I have three things I want to tell you. Three things. First off is even though it seems as if it is the case, I promise you that God has not lost control. He is in sovereign control of everything that is going on. Number two is this. Jesus knows exactly how you feel because he was there. He has been there. He has experienced all the worst that we experience. He has endured it for our sake. And he knows what it's like. Third, he is at work to undo all that is wrong in this world. He will one day set all things to rights and we see the very first fruits of that work of redemption and salvation on Easter morn as Christ Jesus rises from the dead victorious over death itself. Now you might say, Pete, I know it's Easter. I know you're a pastor. I know you have to say all this religious stuff, right? It's your job after all. If you don't say it, they'll probably fire you. Well, first off, I hope they would fire me if I didn't say it. That's true. But that's not the only reason I'm saying it. You might say, wait, wait a second. You mean you really believe this, Pete? You, you really believe that this Jesus guy died and then rose from the dead? I mean, that's impossible. To which I respond, yes, it is impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And yet, and yet, I believe it is the answer that most makes sense of all the circumstances. As impossible as it is, it is the best explanation of what flowed forth from it. Right? You, you look at it here, and, and we see that he was buried and he was raised. But notice the verbs that followed after that in verses 5 through 9. He appeared. He appeared. He appeared. He appeared. Right? He appeared to, to Cephas, that's Peter, and then, then to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 people, and then to James, and then to all the apostles, and then to Paul himself. Right? We see that in verses 5 through, five through 8 right there. And, and we realize that this isn't just some legend that, that, that is about something that took place centuries ago, or even decades before. What Paul is saying to his audience here is, is that there are people, people that I know, people that I'm friends with, people that I'm acquaintances with, people that I've had discussions with, myself even. We, we have seen the Lord. He has appeared to us. We, we even see it in that verse 8 where he says that, that, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. What he's saying here is you can go check up on this, right? Most of these people are still alive. You can check my receipts, Verify that this really happened. This isn't just something I'm saying. Go talk to them and find out that indeed the impossible has occurred. He who was dead is now alive. Jesus has risen. Right? And consider who these people were. It's not just anyone. I mean, we, we think of the 12 here. Right? Who, who, who are they? The, the apostles that that were, when Jesus died, denying and doubting and hiding and fearful. And then something happened. Something happened. Overnight, they went from those who were hiding and doubting and denying and fearing and running. And like that, all of a sudden, they are those 
no longer who wouldn't even be seen with Jesus, those who wouldn't even, even acknowledge Jesus. Now there are those who can't stop proclaiming Jesus. They can't stop proclaiming who he is and claiming that he is the Son of God, that he is the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he is the one who has commissioned them to, to share this truth and to proclaim this truth that is worth more than earthly riches and that the authority by which they proclaim this message is greater than any authority that is on earth. They have been transformed, and Paul too has been transformed. Remember, he was Saul of Tarsus. He had persecuted the church, as he said in verse 9. And we don't understand persecution. I mean, we, we talk about how we're persecuted, but we're, we're not really persecuted. We're kind of inconvenienced at times, right? We, we, we you know, don't have all, of the, all the, the benefits we once did, maybe, right? The cultural benefits, right? But when, when Paul is talking about persecution here, he's talking about what he did to the church, right? He, he would go out and capture people who were Christians, turn them over to the government so that they might be fed to the lions, right? He was a murderer. That's what we're talking about. If you are hearing my voice today, then, then you're not being persecuted the way he's talking about persecuting people, right? Because you're still alive, this is the level of persecution. He was, he was literally a murderer. And yet, he has changed. Something happened to change him from a murderer of the church to one who, as he says, worked harder than any of them, any of the other disciples, any of the other apostles, any of the others who were for the church. He worked harder. What an incredible change. Now, now he wants to be clear. It's not about the evil that he had done, nor about the good that he had done, right? That's not the point of his message. Neither determine his identity. His identity is found wholly in the person of Christ Jesus, the work of his risen Savior. And so he can say in verse 10, by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see what he says here? He says, I don't get any of the glory. All the things that I've done, all the glory goes to Christ. All the glory goes to Christ. It is not mine, but his. So in closing, we have this question. Maybe it's something you're asking already. The question is this. Is it really important that Jesus rose? I mean, I mean sure, it changed Paul's life. But isn't it enough that he just believed it, whether it happened or not, right? Because his life changed either way. Well, we need to remember that the gospel is not just a behavioral modification program. It's not just about changing the way we live our lives. Indeed, that is a great benefit of it. But that's not what it's ultimately all about. See, later today, I'm going to go visit my mom. She's in a hospital bed, a hospital bed that she might never leave, according to the doctors. They tell us they seem to think she will never recover. But we know something that they don't know. We know something that gives us comfort, even in this situation, because we know about the empty tomb. 
We know that Jesus has risen. And he has defeated death. And that we, with him, have victory over death. And so, it's not in today's text, but in the verses that follow today's text, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if Christ did rise from the dead, and brothers and sisters, I promise you he did. If Christ did rise from the dead, then we have hope in the face of any circumstance. We have the ability to be joyful in the face of any circumstance. We have the knowledge that just as he rose on that first Easter morning, so too will we who are joined with him rise. And we will be with him forever. The risen Christ is our hope in life and in death. Not a dead Christ, but a living Christ. One who has defeated death itself, and that is why today, even today, especially today, we can affirm with the Apostle Paul, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our risen Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory, this day forth and forevermore. Amen. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we rejoice in your victory. and We rejoice in the fact that you have invited us to share in that victory, that, that not through anything that we do, but through the faith that you have granted us by your grace, that we can stand in that grace and we can share in that victory held fast to you by your love and by your spirit and by your power that your resurrection power might be for us and that we might know life. Be with us, Lord. Help us to know that truth, not just in our minds but in our hearts. May our lives demonstrate that knowledge and may we make it known to others for the sake of your kingdom and for the sake of your Son, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.